you turn with me to the passage on which today's teaching is based? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. This is Paul's treatise on the church. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is God's word. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul applies these principles of putting on and putting off. And in verses 8 through 14, which we heard last week, Paul says, have nothing to do with darkness. In a sense, put it off. But wake up. Rise from the dead. And then Paul challenges us in this passage, immediately after, he challenges us on three things that can only happen if you're filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. So there are three points today. What does it mean to be filled? What are the marks of being filled with the Spirit? And lastly, I mean, how do you get that? How, how can we be filled with God's Spirit? What does it mean to be filled? What are the marks of being filled with God's Spirit? How can you become filled with God's Spirit? First, we're going to look at what does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Verse 18, Paul says, Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's comparing and contrasting two different experiences. The experience of being drunk with wine, being drunk with alcohol, and the experience of being filled with God's Spirit. And he's showing us that in some ways there are similarities, and in other ways there are differences. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Pentecost. It wasn't the first Pentecost, but it was the first day that the Holy Spirit came to God's people, came to the church, establishing the church, came to the disciples. And there the disciples began to declare the wonders of God, the wonders of the gospel. And the crowd, the onlookers, the passersby, the people who were in their midst, they said, those people have had too much wine. They've had too much wine. They must be drunk. And it's because they were bold. They were celebrating. Remember the Super Bowl? In this world, whenever people, whenever people see other people bold and brave and celebrating and joyful, they say, oh, obviously they must be drunk. Why? What does alcohol do? What does alcohol do? Alcohol gets rid of inhibitions so that your fears are gone. That's why there's boldness. That's why there's joy. When you're drunk, you're bold. When you're drunk, you're honest. When you have a couple of beers or a couple of whiskeys in you, what happens? You, you start to say things. You start to confess because your fears, in a way, are kind of inhibited. Your shame is kind of inhibited. Of course, when you're sober, you would never say these things. But when you're drunk, you're free. And because you're free, you're bold. And because you're bold, you celebrate. And when you're bold, you're honest. That's how it's similar. That's how these two experiences are similar. Uh, but... They're also very unlike. There's a contrast between the two. Paul says, do not be drunk on wine. 
If you think about this, today we know that alcohol is not a stimulant. It's a depressant. So why does it actually make you brave? Why does it actually make you bold and happy? And it's because it impairs your judgment. Your judgment's impaired. And so whereas uh, being filled with the Spirit makes you see life with clarity, makes you see life more clearly, real reality, alcohol makes you see less reality. The Spirit makes you see more of who you are, your true self, your true self in sin, your true self in death. Paul says we were dead in our transgressions, but it also makes you see real reality in Christ. Alcohol makes you see less of yourself, and so you become bold. You become more, more fearless. And so you view yourself with more uh, impaired judgment. The Spirit makes you more human as a result, but alcohol makes you less human as a result. Paul's saying, don't get drunk on wine. In other words, it's not about how many beers you're allowed to have, right? It's not about how many drinks you're allowed to have. It's about how one sip controls you. One sip has you. And in a similar way, it's not about how many Sundays you attend. It's not about how many Bible studies you attend, how many community groups you attend, how consistent you are in leadership. It's not about that. It's not about how much you embrace community, how much you pray. It's about whether the Spirit of God is in you. It's about whether the Spirit of God has you, even if you've been here once, even if this is your first time. Now, if you're filled with alcohol, because you see a diminished reality, you can be brief, you can be joyful, you can be celebratory, but the Spirit operates totally the opposite. You develop a courage, you develop a boldness, you develop a joy not because of diminished faculties, not because of diminished function, but because you have new life. You have a new sense. If you look at uh, verses 15 to 17, Paul says, be sober, be wise in three areas. One, he says, be careful, be alert. Number two, he says, make the most of every opportunity. In other words, be aware of what's around you. Lastly, he says, be wise, be understanding. He literally says, one, be alert. Two, I want you to be aware of what's around you, your surroundings. Thirdly, I want you to understand. In other words, verses 15 to 17, I want you to be able to operate at a completely different level. Heightened senses. Why? Because you have a new sense. Heightened reality, not fake reality, because you see real reality. Heightened judgment. Remember the movie 300? came out a long time ago. It's about the Spartans. King Leonidas, when he was a boy, kind of in the beginning of the movie, he's in training. And the narrator, as he kind of prances on this great enemy, this wolf, the narrator says, it's not fear that grips him, only a heightened sense of things. His hands are steady. His focus is perfect. How can you be wise? How can you be so aware that you would make the most of every opportunity? How can you be truly understanding with clarity? Verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Because then uh, you don't have this temporary fullness that makes you brave for a little while, that makes you happy for a little while. But because of the fullness of the Spirit, you have real courage. The courage is in you. You receive a joy. You receive courage. 
Not because you're less of yourself, but because you become more of yourself. You can see that God is on the move in any circumstance. You can see that God is at work in any circumstance. You can trust God in any circumstance, any suffering. The Holy Spirit's role as a person of God, the Holy Spirit takes all things, that all the things that God is doing, all the things that Christ has done, all the things that God is doing currently throughout history, the fact that you are in Christ. We've been talking about union for the last month, in Christ, and he opens your eyes to these things. And because you see real reality, that's the judgment. That's the new judgment. The truth about your sin, the truth about your death, the truth about your salvation, new life in Christ. And because that truth hits the core of your motivations, the work of Christ, the character of Christ, becomes the central, controlling, motivating power in your life. Before you went elsewhere, to what? To increase your potential, increase your power, increase your joy. And now you've encountered true potential, true power, true joy. And so you no longer live in fear. You no longer live uh, in fear. There's boldness. There's a joy. The fullness of, sp- of the Spirit does not give you some temporary, uh, empty joy that makes you forget about your problems, but gives you a real increased sense a real joy, a real understanding, a real knowledge, a real power in truth that empowers you to confront any circumstance, any trouble. Paul says, I want you to be aware, to be careful. I want you to have such a sense that it empowers you to make the most of every opportunity. I want you to have such a judgment that you're able to understand, see the reality beyond the reality, beyond the visible reality. Because, you have a, because you're a new person, because you have a new self, because of the Spirit of God resides in you, you have the supernatural sense that controls you like nothing else has ever controlled you in your life. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what it means. Now, two, what are the marks of being filled with God's Spirit? What are the marks of somebody Uh, who's been filled. Verses 15 to 17, he says this. He says, there is a humble wisdom that comes that allows you to, a wisdom that allows you to submit to the Lord, to submit out of reverence for Christ. Verses 18 to 21, he says, there's a humble joy, a humble joy that allows you, enables you to submit out of reverence for Christ. First, there's a humble wisdom because when you look to Christ, you're filled with awe. You're filled with awe because you see Christ and it's awful. Not awful as in terrible. It's awful as in there's an amazing, uh, striking awe in your life that hits when you look to Christ that makes you humble. What is wisdom? Wisdom is that ability because you are able to see real reality to choose that which is most important over the tyranny of the urgencies in your life. And so you're not just realistic with a sense of pessimism. There's a real realism. And so you're not idealistic. You're not naive. You're biblically savvy, in a sense. There's clarity. A wise person knows how the world really is, the dangers of the world. And a wise person knows what life then, what we should really be pursuing in life. That's verses 15 to 17. Be aware. Be careful. Make the most of every opportunity. I want you to understand. But then you have verses 19 to 20 
there is a humble joy. And we're going to get to that. First, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this humble wisdom. Why? Because Paul says, I want you to have a humble wisdom out of reverence for Christ. There's this sense of awe when you look at the cross. There's a sense of awe when you look at the love of Christ. When you see his person, when you see his beauty, when you see his power, when you see his love, when you experience his grace, when you see his victory, being filled with the Spirit gives you a wisdom and a savvy that's not arrogant because it's rooted in awe. So there's a humility there. It's grounded. It's rooted in the awe of Christ, right? That's verse 21. But you see what God did for you, and you're filled with awe. You see that the creator of the universe loves you so intently and so deeply. And you see what he's done for you on the cross, and that fills you with awe, but it also makes you wise. Because now you see beyond that visible reality. And it makes you humble. You see that he died for you. When you look to other things, substances, grades, promotions, a, nut, a good night out, a special relationship, that special person in your life, in a sense, they're all kind of similar in that pursuing those things and letting those things control your judgment, letting those things control your wisdom, your decisions, it's like getting drunk. That's what it's like. Why? Because there may be a buzz for a little while. There may be a high for a little while. There's a quick fix for a while, but then there's always inevitably the hangover. There's a crash. So you're going to be high. You're going to be bold. You're going to be strong. You're going to be arrogant when you're doing well, but you're going to be down and you're going to be self-hating when you fail or when it, as long as it lasts. That's what happens. The Spirit gives you a view of reality a wisdom to see your sin, to see the brokenness, your brokenness, not just the consequences of sin, but your brokenness in sin. Jesus had to die for you. Only Jesus could die for you. There's nothing that you could do on your own that's going to humble you. That's got to humble you. No matter your talents, no matter your gifts, no matter how you look, no matter how you've been regarded by your family or friends. And it's going to make you wise because you realize in, at your best, there is nothing that you can do to help yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You're that bad. Now, our presider, Kevin, today, he mentioned uh, Jack Miller. Jack Miller uh, is uh, like a personal, uh, almost like an idol of mine. He's a Presbyterian minister in Philadelphia, and um, he's been an inspiration to many people who entered into gospel ministry. And there's a story about Jack Miller. He's in a bar. And uh, there he would frequent these bars because he would uh, approach people in his neighborhood to bring them to the church, to bring them. To, and he would do that through his uh, counsel, through his evangelism, through his ministry, in his wisdom, in his fatherly wisdom. And so here's this old man sitting in a bar speaking to these young people, and these people are just broken. And he goes to one guy, uh, part of like a motorcycle gang or something like that, as he would normally or frequently encounter and he would ask them, hey, you know, you want to come to church with me tomorrow? And they'd say, oh, no, i got to make myself right first. You have no idea how bad I am. And so the guy would start to make a list of all the things that he would do. I've done this and this. I'm just so ashamed. I can't even believe I'm, I'm telling you these things. And Jack Miller, in his fatherly or grandfatherly wisdom, would say, cheer up. Cheer up, because you're actually worse than that. Cheer up, because you're worse than that. There's a wisdom that shows you 
No matter how great your darkness, no matter how great your circumstance, Jesus Christ is the morning star that shines brighter in your life and works through your brokenness to bring you that greater courage, to bring you that greater boldness. You meet a person like that, that's a winsome person. That's a winsome person. Humble wisdom. A wisdom that understands, sees clearly, and yet submits out of reverence for Christ. The second thing you see is a humble joy. In verses 19 to 20, verses 19 to 20 are actually one sentence in the Greek. And uh, it all flows out of verse 18, which we read, be filled with the Spirit. And so basically here's a summary, and the summary goes like this. If you're a person that's filled with the Spirit of God, and it, that it filled with the Spirit of God, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, in everything, there is a gratitude in your life. And because there's a gratitude, there's a joy. Even as circumstances in your life grow darker. Verse 20, Paul says, Give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the Bible, your name, he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in your name meant your character. Everything that your reputation is built on. And so if you had good character, you had a good name. And if you had bad character, you had a bad name. What Paul's saying here is that when the Holy Spirit fills you, when the Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus in you, when the Holy Spirit is revealing who Jesus is in you and thus revealing who you are in yourself, when the Holy Spirit is revealing what Jesus has done for you, you are brought into his name. You, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, even this morning, you were brought into his character. His name becomes your name. Union, we talked about that, right? His character has become your character. His righteousness is your righteousness. The Holy Spirit shows God's wisdom, God's love, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's glory, so that when you suffer, you can say, I can see beyond the visible reality God's goodness and God's faithfulness and the wisdom of the gospel working through me. What happens as a result? When you can truly say that to the point where it explodes in your heart, gratitude is what happens. It may not be immediate. I mean, some of us, even now, I mean, I'm a pastor. I know that some of us are going through some immense suffering, crazy anxiety, lots of, lots of opportunities to just trip and just be down, and there's, you're just filled with self-loathing. So it may not be immediate, but it's directional first. It's directional. Faith is directional. No matter the magnitude, faith is directional. Then your heart and your mind and your will, they start to shift. And what happens as a result? That suffering leads to song. That's what you're seeing in verses 19 to 21. The suffering leads to song. Sometimes your sin is going to lead to drastic consequences. Lots of suffering. But eventually, even that suffering will lead to song. You can't do that if you don't know God. You can't get there on your own. You can only be truly grateful if you're already delighting in the Father because you know of His embrace, His fatherly embrace in your life. 
if you sense his presence, if you know that God is near, if you know that God is in, that you have access and intimacy with God. It's why in verses 19 to 20, when you delight in God's presence, what happens? You speak to one another, he says, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That means you're singing to God, but you're really also singing to one, singing to one another. It comes out in your speech. There's a song. It comes out in your speech. You're encouraging people. You're strengthening people. You're strengthening one another. You're building other people, even in your suffering. That means that no matter your suffering, it's not that you're forgetting your troubles. It's not that you're leaving it behind. But you know that God works through suffering. If God has worked through the ultimate suffering in the death of Christ, his one and only son, truly and surely he will work through your suffering. And so if you can trust that, what does it do? If you let that just grow up and just burst you, it's going to burst you into gratitude and a joy. But a joy that's going to enable you to submit to the Father. Trust in Christ. Submit to the Lord's will. When you're putting off and you're putting on the new self, you're putting off the old self, putting on the new self, that's the submission. That's the humility. You're doing that because you're able to talk about, you're able to see, that's the wisdom. You're able to see the things that God is doing. You may not see it with clarity, but you know and you can trust that in any circumstance, God is shaping you. God is renewing you. God has not abandoned you in the suffering. Sometimes it feels like God has abandoned you in suffering. Friends, I'm going to speak to you as a father. I'm not old, to be, old enough to be your father, but I'm going to speak to you like a father, okay? I've suffered a lot in my day, just like you. And the thing is, how do you see, how do you connect with God's presence when you're in your deepest suffering, you need community. You need good friends. You need fathers and brothers, sisters and mothers in your life that can speak into you. Peers can do so much. Peers can do a lot, actually. But you need the wisdom of a father, the compassion of a bishop in your life who can speak to you and say, this is what I think God is doing. And humility says, we're going to submit to that. That's what it means. When you're able to do that, and you're able to trust, your heart will sing. Horatio Spafford, Horatio Spafford is a lawyer, and uh, he, he was a lawyer in the late 1800s. He lost his entire fortune. Uh, he had invested in property, and because of the great Chicago fire in the 1800s, he lost everything, pretty much everything. And that didn't end because just prior to that, he lost his son. He lost one of his sons, one of his children. And soon after uh, he had lost everything, as he was kind of rebuilding his life, he had sent uh, his family off on a, a kind of like a vacation to Europe. And they boarded the ship and they headed off to Europe. Uh, he was kind of trapped back at home, finishing up some things. And in the midst of that, he received a message from his wife saying that he had lost all four daughters because a ship... Had, uh, had, had collided with another ship. And so he, in, in one instance, he had lost his entire family, save for his wife. 
And uh, so here's uh, Horatio Spafford, lost his son, lost four daughters, lost his fortune, his entire wealth, tragedy after tragedy. Do you know what he wrote on his way to seeing his wife in the midst of that tragedy? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you know the song, you know the hymn, you know the spiritual song. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford was a Christian, and he had a joy that sings. There's wisdom. There's the joy. If you're a community, Metro, we seek to be a community for the city. If you're a community that embraces that, you will be a community that challenges one another. You're going to be a community that loves one another. We've been talking about that for the past chapter. You're going to be a community that builds each other, even if it comes at your own cost. Is your joy like that? Is your love like that? Or do people hear more about your suffering and how much you love yourself? That's what boasting is, right? And how much you're building yourself. That's what boasting is. The church stands together because they're focused on, on how God is on the move through the pain of the city, through the pain of, of the sufferings of God's people, not bringing one another down. The church is going to stand for truth against evil, even if it comes at a cost to itself. The church is going to stand for justice, for righteousness. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's a humility and a wisdom and a joy that sings. How do you get there? How do you get it? How can you become filled with, this, with the Spirit? How can you be filled with this kind of wisdom? How can you be filled with this kind of joy? You know, in Psalm chapter 51, King David King David, perhaps, arguably one of the greatest kings, if not the greatest king in Israel. King David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That's Psalm 51. The reason why I prayed that was because if you've ever read that psalm, it's a psalm of repentance. David had sinned greatly. David had sinned deeply. And Psalm 51 is a repentance prayer. In that prayer, he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And the reason why is because God is a holy God, and David had sinned in a grievous way, in an egregious way. He was, God is set apart from sin. So David knew that he deserved to die. David knew that he deserved to be rejected. David knew that he deserved to be abandoned by God. And so he prays, restore to me, what? The joy of your salvation. The joy of your salvation. Even though he's broken in sin, he sang. The Psalms were a song. He sang. I need your presence. I need your forgiveness. I need your Holy Spirit. I need, I need, I'm empty. Restore to me the joy of salvation. And he did. God did. God forgave him. Even though he was a sinner, even though he deserved to die, God forgave him and, and he was brought in. He didn't die. But look, look at Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sinless. Jesus Christ is perfect. Jesus Christ is holy. And so he's not set apart from God. He, and the God. he and the Father are one. Jesus Christ is truly righteous, the only one, the most perfect person that ever walked the earth. And so he was acceptable, and he deserved God's presence, and he had God's presence. 
but on the cross, he literally bore the weight of the world on his shoulders. The weight of the world, the sins of the world were placed on him, and he bore it alone. The wrath of God is just pouring out on Jesus, and so he suffered. Jesus Christ suffered the ultimate suffering, and he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, here you have David. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Jesus Christ is the greater David, the ultimate David, on the cross saying, you have forsaken me. You have taken your presence away from me. He's saying, if I've ever needed the Spirit, it's now, but I'm empty. The Father has forsaken me, and now I alone bear the weight of sin. And he did it for me. He did it for you. Jesus Christ lost the Father so that you could have the Father. Jesus Christ died alone so that you could never die alone. Jesus Christ lost the fullness of the Spirit the apostle, the apostle Paul, who also wrote the epistle to uh, the Philippians, he said, he emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There was a humble wisdom. There was a humble wisdom that enabled him to submit. And he did that so that we would have the Spirit, so, we, so that the Spirit of God would, could reside in us. And yet, do you know that even as he hung on the cross, he was strengthening others as he was dying. To the criminal next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what he says. He's looking at his mother. He's looking at his disciple, John, encouraging them, strengthening them, discipling them, mentoring them, even as he hung on the cross. Through his suffering, knowing and trusting. Why, why would you, where would you ever get the power to do that? And yet knowing and trusting and praying to God to forgive his people, it's because he still trusted God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, he still trusted God. That is humble wisdom. And yet notice, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually reciting Psalm 22. He was actually living out, fulfilling Psalm 22. What was he doing on the cross? He was singing. There was a joy. Isaiah 53 says that he would look at the justification of many and he would be satisfied. To the end, Jesus Christ trusted the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, even when it seemed most dark, no matter the circumstance. To the end, he remained alert. To the end, he made the most of every opportunity. To the end, he understood, he saw with clarity. Do you see that? You're suffering. All of us here suffering in our own ways. Paul says, be alert. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Paul says, I want you to see. I want you to understand. I want you to be wise. Why? If Jesus Christ was so wise that even as the Father sent him to suffer and experience the cosmic death, the ultimate abandonment, and that he would physically die, and yet he still trusted the Father and delighted in the Father and wanted the Father, then you can certainly trust the Father in your suffering. Because Jesus Christ is wise, you are wise. You can be wise. Because he trusted, 
you can trust. Because there was power, you have power. Because Jesus died, Paul says, you died. Because he rose again, you rise. To be alert, to be sober. It means to maintain your judgment and not escape. To make the most of every opportunity is to say, for example, what is God doing right now in my circumstance? Most of us try to do whatever we can to avoid the circumstance, to get out of the circumstance, to complain about the circumstance. Jesus Christ, a person who is wise with humility, will say, what is God doing in the circumstance, in me right now? What character of Christ, the spirit residing in me, is alive in me? because the old self has died. What can God do through me in this circumstance? Don't waste the opportunity. To understand, to see, is to look to Christ, is to see Jesus in all his beauty, to see his glory, and to be filled with Jesus first. That beauty That glory is in you to trust who he is, to trust what he's done. A lot of us, we tend to see our brokenness and we dwell. We tend to see the guilt and we just stay down. We tend to see our losses and we're just so deeply in sorrow. And I don't want to diminish anyone's loss. But in the midst of losses, there is an appropriate, at some point, the Lord wakes us up. The clouds do roll away. It's to be filled with Christ first, to trust who he is, what he's done for you. And when you see that, when you're in all of that, there's, there begins. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of insight. And when that becomes personal to you, that's the birth of gratitude. It's going to lead you to a joy that sings. You get it? God's not going to abandon you in Christ. Remember the gospel you got to take the gospel. Jerry Bridges, who's written many books about what it means to live a gospel-centered life, he says you got to preach the gospel to yourself until there is a joy, until the song returns. That means you got to memorize God's promises because he is faithful. you got to repeat those things in the circumstance. you got to meditate on God's word. you got to pray through God's word. Community groups that are intended for us to remind each other of the truths of God's word, strengthening you in God's word. And as you do these things, sometimes, like I said, it's not always immediate. But you have to trust that the Holy Spirit will set those things on fire. You can't just read books. You can't just earn degrees. You can't just drop in on church once in a while, you know, a couple times a month and experience that fullness to be lived out in experience. You have to daily remember what Jesus Christ has done. You know, the Bible says a lot more about remembering than you think because we're always forgetting. You have to daily remember what God has done in your life until it brings you to gratitude. Can you do that? When you do that, there's a song. We're going to sing right now, right? Let's pray.